From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. All right, and we are very glad that you are with us today on Open Line Monday. And uh, uh, normally, uh, Al, uh, boy, normally uh, Father John Tregilio is with us on a Monday edition of Open Line, uh, and he is not here. Jack Williams is not here. He will be back tomorrow, I do believe, tomorrow or or Wednesday at the latest. Uh, So I am Tom Price, along with our wonderful friend, Deacon Harold Burke Severs. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Tom. It's great to be back with you again. It's been a while. It has been too long, and uh, great to see your face. Great to hear your voice. Uh, we're going to be opening up the phone lines in just a couple of seconds here. Let me give you that number right now. I'm anticipating busy phone lines. Here's the number, 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question about the Catholic faith, especially along the lines of apologetics, 833 833- 288-3986. Uh, if you are listening to us outside of North America, then you'll want to dial our uh, U.S. country code, the number 1, and then 205-271-2985. Or you can shoot us an email, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Our uh, producer today, of course, is uh, the wonderful... Uh, Let's see now. What was it? Oh, yeah. Michael McCall. That's right. Also, uh, Matt Kabinsky, our phone screener, Jeff Burson on social media. If you want to ask a question via YouTube or Facebook, we're streaming there right now. Just put your question in the uh, comments box and Jeff will shoot that down to us here in the studio. Now, you are not in your home digs. You're on retreat this week, right? You're uh, doing uh, some speaking. Yeah, I'm doing a parish mission at two parishes. Uh, St. John Vianney and Our Lady of Lourdes in Bettendorf, Iowa. Really? The Diocese of Davenport. Yeah. So uh, it's going real well. We started off last night. My talk was Why Be Catholic? And tonight uh, I'm going to talk about uh, be, staying awake in the woke culture. Oh. <laughs> and then uh, tomorrow night, the Eucharist and evangelization. Well, very good. You're a busy guy, and I know that you're on the road uh, quite a bit. Uh, are, are there any opportunities for someone who hears you today and they're thinking, wow, I'd love to have him come speak at our parish? Yeah, just uh, go to my website, uh, deaconharold.com, and uh, you'll see this, uh, you know, just a uh, form you can fill out and just make an inquiry. Love to come to your Very place. good. Absolutely. Very good. We're going to lead off here as we're getting some of these phone calls going uh, with a couple of emails. Here's one from Marie. If you were to go to confession and then, for whatever reason, die right away, not that we're, you know, <laughs> predicting anything there, do you still have to go to purgatory or do you go straight to heaven in such a scenario? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. So, the reason why you go to confession is to confess mortal sin. Okay. In order for a sin to be mortal, there must be three criteria that's present at the same time. The, the sin must be grave mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. So typically the benchmark is violation of one of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And that sin must be done with full knowledge and deliberate consent of the will. So if you are in that state of mortal sin, you are separated from God's life. So you go to confession then, the sacrament of reconciliation, to restore sanctifying grace, which is the grace that you need to get to heaven, 
which was lost because of the mortal sin. But there are two effects of sin, the eternal punishment of sin and the temporal punishment of sin. So even though the eternal punishment of sin has been remitted, uh, the concupiscence, that desire to choose that which is not God, is still present. So what the sacrament of reconciliation does, it remits part of the temporal punishment due to sin. So okay. you get what's called a partial indulgence, and that's why you have to do the penance. The penance helps remits part of the, 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 the part of the uh, um, temporal punishment due to sin. Now, you may still have to go to purgatory because unless, because remember, Book of Revelation says no sin at all mm. can exist in heaven. And so you may still have to go to purgatory to remit any last um, rem- remnants of the uh, temporal punishment due to sin that remains after uh, sacramental confession. Okay, very good. Marie, thanks so much uh, for your email. Calls are coming in right now. We have a line for you at 833 833- 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Van sent us this email. Uh, What is the difference between a soul and a spirit? Are they the same thing? Okay, very good. So um, St. Thomas Aquinas would say that everything that's alive has a soul. So a plant has a soul. A tree has a soul. Uh, A cat has a soul. Human beings have souls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that is the animating being of what makes something alive. What differentiates us, and we see this in the book of Genesis chapter 1, is that we're made in the image and likeness of God, right? So, so we have a quality within us which separates us from all the other things that are alive, right? And that is the spirit. We have literally God's spirit in us, that makes us in his image and likeness. Because remember, that image and likeness is not physical. Mm. We're not made in the physical, because God, remember God's pure spirit. Well, uh, until Jesus Christ, of course, the word became flesh. Sure. But the Father and the Holy Spirit are, are, are pure spirit. So, but we have God's life in us, right? Look at um, second, uh, second Peter chapter one, verse four, says we are partakers in the divine nature. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, Paul says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God, right? And Genesis 2 verse 9 says that God breathed into our nostrils the breath of light. In Hebrews, nishmat ruach ka'im. It's gorgeous phrasing for God taking the very breath of his divine life, his spirit, and pouring that life into us, right? So the soul is what animates and makes alive. The spirit is what connects us more intimately to God. Okay, beautiful. And uh, it's uh, Open Line Monday with uh, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers here on EWTN. Uh, A couple lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Andy asks this question, Deacon Harold, how is drunkenness a sin when Proverbs says to give those in misery and poverty wine to drink? Right, and... um, I'd say Paul even says, you know, give give a little wine. Yeah. Um, in fact, the Psalms even say, you know, um, uh, wine to cheer man's heart. So drinking alcohol is not a problem, not a problem at all. The problem is with anything that's good, when you abuse that good, mm. that's when it can become a vice or it can become sinful. So consuming alcohol, no problem. Now I choose not to drink, mm-hmm. but that's just my that's just my personal choice. 
But, I, you know, there are plenty of people that consume alcohol. No problem. Jesus drank wine, of course. Sure. Right? Um, what if he's a Cana? We saw that they served wine. Uh, the, the, the issue is when we consume too much and we begin to lose ourselves, to lose our senses, to lose control uh, um, uh, of ourselves, then we get into the area of sinfulness. Because then we, because why? That that causes us to do acts that are sinful. For example, you drink too much, you, you, you start acting in a certain way that's disrespectful to other people. Hmm. You may get behind the wheel of a car yeah. and drive drunk and injure somebody. So so now we're getting into behaviors mm-hmm. um, that, that definitely are sinful. But that's, So that's how I would say Very good. Andy, thanks so much for your email. While we're talking about consumption here, a great question from Lynn. Can a Catholic be a vegan? Oh, so, okay. <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, before the show... Uh, Tom, you had mentioned about the the, the the weight that I lost, right? So I lost about 85 pounds. And that's because when I went to my new doctor, she put me on a plant-based way of eating, hmm. okay? Now, she specifically said plant-based, not vegan. Really? Okay. Okay. Now, okay, so, so here's the difference. So vegan means you don't consume any animal products at all or any byproduct of animals. So no cheese, no milk, no eggs, mm-hmm. no butter, because all those are byproducts of animals or animal fat. Yeah. And also, veganism contains within it a, a, a kind of a ideology about you know uh, protecting the planet and protecting the animals and, and, and almost, not in all cases, but it may even sometimes have more of a militant bend to it, uh-huh. and, uh, almost an extremist bent to it um so people can eat vegan and i know plenty of catholics that eat vegan you know i eat plant-based but there are Catholics that eat vegan but don't subscribe to the philosophy or to the ideology that sometimes underpins a a, a vegan way of eating see so you have to separate the eating from the from the philosophy all right very good which reminds me of uh dr david andrews who does the program just before this one uh called a communion who by the way says hello to you harold oh he's great isn't he a great Uh, guy yeah dave oh man you know how many people i run into that absolutely love that program and love it because he's so smart and, and he's helped so many people like i'm on the road i'm in a different parish in a different state every week yeah and so i get feedback from people who sure. are ewtn radio listeners or watchers and it's really affecting people's lives in very powerful ways so god bless mother angelic and the work of, of ewtn thank you so much back in just a moment here for another edition of open line monday do stay with us This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, we would love to talk with you today on this edition of Open Line Monday with our guest host today, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. That number again, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Before we get to the phones, 
Let me just say a few words here quickly about uh, EWTN's National Catholic Register. It's America's most trusted Catholic news source with a comprehensive view of the world from a Catholic perspective. You can give a gift subscription or subscribe for yourself and right now save up to 42% by visiting ncregister.com today. ncregister.com. And right now you can also receive daily, weekly, or alert emails from the register directly. Just visit EWTN.com, click on the word subscribe. That'll take you to a whole menu of things that you can subscribe to. If you choose the National Catholic Register, we'll just get your uh, your email address and you'll start uh, seeing those in your inbox right away. So do check that out. EWTN.com, click on the word subscribe. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Jeff, a first-time caller from Minnesota, listing on uh, EWTN. WTN Television today. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Yeah, can uh, a Lutheran minister or anybody else, any other minister, can they consecrate the bread and the wine the same as a Catholic priest? All right. Okay. Okay, great question, Jeff. Um, in fact, I'm going to be in Mankato, Minnesota, uh, in a few weeks. So. Ah. Um, yeah, so in order for the Eucharist to be valid, you have to have the right matter and the right form, and you have to right, have the right intention, right? So in order to confect the Eucharist, you have to have, for us in the Latin rite, you have to have unleavened bread, you have to have grape wine, that's the matter. And mm-hmm. the form is the words that Jesus proclaims at the Last Supper, right? But in order for the Eucharist to come out, bread and wine to become the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus, that prayer has to be confected by a validly ordained priest that can trace the priesthood all the way back to the apostles, right? Because Jesus ordained the apostles and gave them authority in his name to confect the Eucharist, which he did at the Last Supper, and to forgive sins, which he did in John chapter 20, um, on the evening of the resurrection, Easter night, when he appeared in the upper room with them. And so in order for the Eucharist to be validly the body, blood, soul, the thing of Jesus has to be confected by a priest with valid holy orders, and, uh, which, again, can trace all the way back to the apostles. So the, um, um, the only two churches that have that authority is the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. Mm. Uh, even though the Orthodox are separated from the Catholic Church, they still have valid succession and they still have valid, holy, uh, valid uh, sacraments, including holy orders. Uh, sadly, for example, the Anglican Church, um, uh, Henry VIII changed the formula, um, and, uh, and those that was used in the ordination rite, uh-huh. uh, and so that that therefore that invalidated any other priest that came after that. Um, and of course, uh, Lutherans and Calvinists and those you know don't have um, valid orders to begin with. So no. The Eucharist cannot be confected, as we understand it as Catholics, the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus, unless it's confected by uh, a, a priest that has valid sacramental orders. There you go, Jeff. Thanks so much for your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. Several lines open for you, as a matter of fact. 833-288-3986. Open line Monday with our guest host, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, today here on EWTN Radio. Let's go now to Jordan, a first-time caller from Detroit, listening on the great Ave Maria Radio. Jordan, what's on your mind today? Hey, thank you so much. Um, so I, I guess my question is less apologetic-focused, but 
Um, I am a former wokester myself. I'm 26. <laughs> okay. And I, I think something that I didn't know was that Catholic social teaching is enough. Um, and I think that we're in a moment where there's many in the Church who would call themselves concerned with social justice, but what I see is a tendency to want to create the Church in secular social justice's image. Um, and so I'm wondering if the deacon could comment on how we could reach more young people, or really just anybody, with the message that Catholic social teaching provides all that we need for approaching sort of the social issues of the world. All right. Wow, Jordan, that's a, that's a great question. Again, I was just in Grand Rapids in Traverse City, Michigan, oh. before coming here. So I, I, I've been <laughs> around. But, but Jordan, that's a great question. Uh, so let me, let me answer in, in, in this context. Um, I have a book coming out in the fall from Ignatius Press called Building a Civilization of Love, a Catholic Response to Racism. Okay. Now, in there, I address some of these, the social issues which you're talking about here. Okay. And what I'm noticing is this, when it comes to these, to these issues, young people want to hear the truth and they're not hearing it. I hear that from young people, young adults, teenagers, all the time. And, there's a, and the other thing I hear is a serious disconnect between their faith and their everyday lived experience. And the issue is, Jordan, that the culture can't bridge that gap, right? A deep, intimate, personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and uniting ourselves with Christ through his church is how we come to, a, to an integrated and complete understanding of our humanity melding um, and integrating with, with society and social justice issues. So in my book, I don't talk about reparations. I don't talk about, you know, these things that society does to try to ameliorate the issue of racism. Yeah. I talk about what we can do as Catholics, mm. the Catholic response to racism rooted in First uh, John 4, 16. God is love. And he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. That's the foundation for my approach to, to helping to close the racial divide and to bring healing and harmony. Other things that people are trying to bring into this discussion, into the church, are not going to work at all because they're built on separation and division, not bringing to people together in love. So I think what we need to do is truly teach authentic principles of Catholic social justice, but yet give meaningful, concrete examples of how the principle works as juxtaposed to the society's uh, a view of how to make things better or, yeah. or to move things forward. Mm -hmm. And once they see that, they'll be go, oh, okay, because why? Deep in their hearts, they want what Jesus is offering them. You know, they, sure. they want beauty, they want truth, they want goodness. And that's what the church offers over what society offers. And De Deacon Harold, don't you love it when you see those scales fall from their eyes? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It just, it's just awesome. Jordan, what a great call. Thank you so much for it. It is Open Line Monday with uh, Deacon Harold Burke-Severs filling in today here on EWTN. Let's go now to Willie in Columbia, South Carolina, listening today on WROP. Willie, what's on your mind today? Thank you for taking my call. I'm calling about uh, misinformation when a minister is preaching, uh, you know, his sermon, and he's saying the wrong things. How do you handle that? Hmm. Misinformation hmm. from the pulpit. Little, uh, little saying tricky. the wrong things. Yeah. So when you mean the wrong things, Willie, can you just give me a little more context? We mean by the wrong things, like teaching against the church or teaching politics the wrong or, or things what? from the Bible. 
<laughs> you know, when he's preaching and uh, he's saying something about uh, somebody's name and it's not right and all like that. Trumpet. Okay. Well, uh, what I would do if so, if the the priest or the deacon is preaching. Mm-hmm. And you you perceive there's something wrong, there's something off, or you just didn't understand what they were saying. I would go to them and say, you know, um, father or deacon, um, you know, I, I just have a few questions about your homily. That do you just have a couple of minutes? I just I, maybe I heard it wrong. Maybe I'm not understanding. Mm-hmm. Can you just clarify what you mean and, and and do it that way? You know, you know why Willie? Why that approach works? I have people that sometimes complain about my homilies, but and I, and I tell you, Willie, I am a loyal son of the church. I don't swerve into politics. I'm the, I stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, Willie, people are hearing things and they're, they're coming in with a certain mentality, um, with a certain, they're living in, in a certain way that's away from the church. Mm-hmm. And so what I say jolts their, their conscience and they get upset. So they hear things that I actually didn't say that they think that I said. And so instead of coming to me so they can clarify what I said and put it within the context, they are, they just complain. Mm-hmm. To, they write a letter to the priest or they complain, they put on social media or something like that. Um, but it'd be much better if you just went directly to them and just asked for clarification and, and uh, so you can get the right understanding of what they meant. Is that helpful for you, Willie? Thank you very much. All right. Thanks You're so much. You're most welcome. Thanks for your call. Let's go to Lynn now, a first-time caller from Sarasota, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lynn, what's on your mind today? Hi. Uh, thank you all for everything that you do. I have a question. I've been around not falling away Catholic, and those that are now pursuing just the general faith. And it came up in discussion as to, yes, if you believe in this Christ, you go to heaven, but my question is, uh, finding the right verbiage and to validate the fact it is true that you have to be Catholic. Okay. Okay. So you're trying to find the language that says you have to be Catholic in order to go to heaven. Is that what you're saying? I'm trying to validate if so what is the verbiage to explain it. Okay. Well, typically the verbiage, um, Lynn, would be the church's teaching uh, in Latin, extra ecclesia nulla salus, which means no salvation outside of the church. You can find that teaching in the uh, Lumen Gentium, the document, the light of the nations on Second Vatican Council documents on the church. You can also find that in the catechism of the Catholic church as well. But, but, he, but you have to put that in context. Yes, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, right? And so Jesus founded the church, which, of course, is the Catholic church. So therefore, you know, if Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me, then by implication, no one can come to the Father, come to a fullness of faith in Jesus Christ or, or, or gain heaven without going through the church that he founded, which is the Catholic church. So how do we understand that, though, when it comes to other people, and other faiths, and other religions? So the way the Second Vatican Council articulated it in its document on the church, it says that, of course, the teaching of Jesus is true. But there may be some folks who, through no fault of their own, do not come to understand uh, or to realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe uh, a missionary 
never reached their particular uh, village where mm-hmm. they live. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they grew up their entire life as a, as a Muslim, mm-hmm. you know, and, and never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, articulated in a way that, that's meaningful to them. Yeah. So what happens is they will still get an opportunity to come to Christ, but that will happen when they die. You know, so that's why it's important for our job is to be witnesses of God's truth and love and not so they won't have to wait until they're until they die before they stand before God, Jesus, and then and then be judged and then give an opportunity at that time to say yes or no to him. There you go, Lynn. Thanks so much for your call. In a moment, more calls here on Open Line Monday with our guest, our, our guest uh, host today, Deacon Harold Berg Sivers, that number 833-288-EWTN. Call right now. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey, we'd like to congratulate two longtime EWTN radio partners, Good News Catholic Radio in Rio Grande City, Texas, also Catholic Spirit Radio in Northern Illinois, both celebrating their 12th anniversary with EWTN this week. Congratulations to Roel Smith in Rio Grande City, John Hall in Bloomington, Illinois, both celebrating 12 years with EWTN Radio. Love our radio partners. Back to the phones right now. Here is Paul in Spokane, Washington. Speaking of great partners, Sacred Heart Radio. They've been with us for a long time. Very proud to uh, call them a, a dear friend and a partner. Hey there, Paul. What's on your mind today, sir? Well, good good, uh, good afternoon. Howdy. So, my question is, my wife and I, prior to being Catholic, uh, after our last child was born, she had a tubal ligation. Um, and we just don't really know where we stand on that now that we are Catholic. Is that is that like... Um, a mortal sin now for us that just sort of never goes away, or what? What happens to us? And that was <laughs> that was before the uh, conversion, there, Deacon Harold. Yeah, yeah. So um, th- that's a great question, and I do that question does come up fairly often. Um, in fact, some uh, very good friends of mine uh, went through the v- the very same thing, mm-hmm. uh, except they were Catholic and then had the tubal ligation, then had it reversed. So there's a couple things to think about here, Paul. Um, so you're not liable for mortal sin because this happened before you were Catholic, okay? Uh, but now that you are Catholic, you have a couple of choices. You can have to try to uh, have the procedure reversed, okay? Because um, if depending on your age, if you're open to more kids, um, that's one. That's definitely one option you can choose. The other thing I would would say is to practice natural family planning. Now, you may be saying to yourself, Paul, well, why would you say that? Because she can't become pregnant. That's not the issue. The issue is uh, the, the beauty of NFP and the way that you are with each other, the way you relate to each other and to each other's bodies as male and female, as husband and wife, mm. using natural family planning, I think honors and respects the intention of what the church is seeking in that beautiful conjugal act of, of love and communion and intimacy. All right. So so that was that's how I would answer that just very shortly, Paul, either have it reversed and, you know, uh, attempt to have more children or practice the, the beautiful um, uh, practice of, of natural family planning. Paul, thanks so much uh, for your call. Here's a question from Amanda watching us today on YouTube, a question uh, near and dear to your heart, Harold. Uh, she says, can you explain what a deacon in Catholicism does as opposed to what a priest does? 
Ah, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I even wrote a book about it. It's called Our Life of Service, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons. And Amanda, uh, I also did an EWTN series, uh, a five-part series with Father Brian Milady called Priests and Deacons, mm. Ministers of Mercy. Mm. And I also did another series previous to that on the diaconate for EWTN. So I think I know a little bit about this. So Amanda, in Acts chapter 6, we see the uh, beginnings of the, the diaconate in the, in the Catholic Church. So we see that the, the, the widows um, felt that they weren't being uh, taken care of properly, you know, between the Greek and the Jew, Jewish widows. And, and so they went to the apostles. The apostles said, we're too busy doing uh, apostle stuff and priestly stuff. And so they chose seven men and the apostles laid hands on them, not for the priesthood, but for a ministry of service. And those were the first deacons, right? But the deacons in the Old Testament were the Levites, all right? So to in order to uh, prevent any confusion, Amanda, so in the Old Testament, there was the 12 tribes of Israel, and there was a 13th tribe called the tribe of Levi. That was a priestly tribe that was supposed to serve the other tribes. Within that tribe, Amanda, you had the high priest, the priests, and the Levites, who were the deacons. In our church today, we have the bishops, the priests, and the deacons. You see, remember what Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Mm. So that same structure that was in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Now, the deacon's job is to assist the bishop with his ministry of evangelization, of spreading the news of the life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Because the priest helps the, the, uh, the bishop with his ministry of facilitating communion, of bringing people together around the sacramental life of the church, especially the most blessed sacrament of the Eucharist and the sacrament of reconciliation. The deacon, and even that's, that's why the deacon proclaims the gospel. Even when the pope says mass, a deacon reads the gospel because he's the minister of evangelization. Mm. Our job is to bring that message of God's love into the world and when people are ready to bring them back to the healing ministry of the priest. So I just, I mean, there's yeah. much more I could say about that, but that's kind of just a general overview. And I hope that helps Amanda. Amanda, thanks so much. Uh, great question there. Glad that you're watching us today here on uh, YouTube. Open Line Monday with Deacon Harold Burke Sivers here on EWTN. Let's go now to Steve in Fletcher, Oklahoma, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Steve, what's on your mind today, sir? <laughs> Yeah, I was. I bet you haven't had this question before. I wonder if, uh, for my Protestant friends who are very adamant that there is no thing as purgatory, if they do end up in purgatory, do you think that they will be able to realize that 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 they got it wrong? Yeah. So I mean, I, that's a great question, Steve. But I think at that point, right or wrong, kind of doesn't matter. Um, I think what matters is that they'll, they'll be on their way to heaven. Yeah, and yeah. that's what we should hope for all of our brothers and sisters. Because remember, pur all purgatory means is, is kind of like a, uh, a car wash, right? You, you know, or you wipe your feet before you enter a house. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, gotta, you get cleaned up. The last vestiges and the last attachments to sin are purged, right, in order to, uh, to live face-to-face -face, face -face with God forever in heaven, the beatific vision. And so Book of Revelation is very clear. No sin can exist in heaven, which means not even the desire to sin can exist in heaven. And that's what, why we have purgatory, to purge, 
remove those last attachments to things that separate us from God's love. And so when our Protestant brothers and sisters get there, you know, they'll, they'll realize, oh, thank you, Jesus, that you love me enough to, to uh, cleanse everything that separates me from you so I can be with you forever. I think that's the joy. It's not like, oh, darn, those Catholics were right. I should have believed this from the beginning. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> at that point, we're just glad that our brothers and sisters will be coming to heaven with us. Better believe it. Steve, thanks so much for your call. It is uh, Open Line Monday with uh, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers here on EWTN Radio. And this question from Leonard watching us on YouTube today. Can I break up my rosary throughout the day? I keep hearing this on diff- on various sites. Is this correct or are we being misled? Okay, Leonard. So a couple things to, to, uh, to understand here. First of all, the rosary is um, is not like mass, right? So we, we have to attend mass on Sunday. Mass is one of the part of the public prayer of the church. Mm-hmm. And the other public prayer of the church is the liturgy of the hours or the divine office. Okay, those are two public forms of prayer. The mass, we, we have to attend. But those of us who are ordained, bishops, priests, and deacons, we also are obliged to pray the liturgy of the hours on behalf of the entire church. Okay? Okay. But there's a whole plethora of private devotions and private prayers, including the rosary. So the rosary is not a required prayer for anybody that's Catholic. Now, don't get me wrong here. I love me the rosary. Okay? <laughs> I pray the rosary every day. In fact, when I travel, I pray with Mother Angelica there because I recorded the, 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 I recorded the nuns praying on my phone. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm on the plane... I'll just put the earphones on and I'll pray my rosary along with Mother Angelica and the nuns. Sweet. But, for example, get to your point, Leonard. There are times when I'm, for example, I, I start the rosary and I'm boarding the plane. Oh, I have to stop the rosary, wait for all the announcements to happen on the plane. And when the plane takes off, boom, I start the rosary again. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm driving somewhere and I get there faster than I thought and I have one more decade to go. Okay, okay, let me go to the meeting. And when I come back in my car, I'll finish that last decade. Yeah. See, so there's nothing wrong with breaking it up as long as, you know, you're not you, you would try to do it all together. Right. To, to have the uniformity of the prayer so that you're you're for that 20 minutes that you're praying, your your mind and your heart is focused on the prayer. But you know what, Leonard? Life happens. Yeah. Things happen. Yeah. And you have the good intention. But you may not be able to do it all at one time. Fine. Finish it later. No problem. There you go, Leonard. Uh, thanks so much for watching us on YouTube this afternoon. It's Open Line Monday with Deacon Harold Berg Sivers sitting in with us today here on EWTN. Uh, by the way, we do have a couple of lines open. And if you call right now, we can hopefully get you on today's program at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 288-3986. Tomorrow night on Mother Angelica Live Classics, Mother talks about respect and responsibility. Mother looks at the responsibility to show our love for others by treating them with respect. Sounds like a great show. That's uh, coming up tomorrow night at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. Speaking of Mother Angelica, right, uh, Deacon Harold? Hey, amen. I miss yes, her. I miss her every day. Let's go to uh, Kathy, a first-time caller in New Hampshire, listening on uh, the great Sirius XM Channel 130. Very glad to partner with Sirius XM. Kathy, what's on your mind today? 
Hi. Um, first, I would like to just say to Deacon Harold, um, I really enjoy your uh, commentaries on the USCCB in the morning, the video reflection. Ah, it's always enjoyed my day when your face pop up there. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks. My question is, um, if someone is divorced and um, will probably not get an annulment, um, are they able to serve in a lay ministry as a lector? Okay. Yes, absolutely. And I'll and I tell you, I, from my own situation, my mother and my, was divorced from my father. Mm. And my mother did not get an annulment because she didn't believe it. She believed, you know, um, once you get married, that's, you know, she's old school, right? Yeah. <laughs> so she, once you get married, that's it. In fact, um, Kathy, she died with her wedding ring on. Mm. She never took it off, even after her divorce from my father. But my mother was very active in the church. Why? Because the church, of course, would still consider them to be married. But she had no intention of being in another relationship. So she, uh, well, she wasn't able to elect her because, um, because of her health at, at that stage. But uh, she uh, did altar linens and, you know, um, she, well, until she was able to not do it anymore, uh -huh. she sang in the choir. You know, so she was definitely part of parish life, hmm. um, even after the divorce. So, yeah, so being divorced in and of itself does not stop you from doing ministry as long as you're not um, engaging in another uh, relationship. Right. Um, now, if you want, if you think you want to get into another relationship, then definitely pursue the decree of nullity, which will then free you to be able to uh, engage in another relationship. But if not, like in my mother's case, she had no interest, then then you're you're fine. Kathy, is that helpful for you? It is. Thank you so much. Thank you for your call. We do appreciate that. Here's a great question from Olivia watching us on YouTube this afternoon. Why does God give us mercy? Oh, that is a great question. I love that. You see, uh, how, how do you even start with a? That's such a great question. I know. Lo love and mercy go hand in hand, okay? Because God is so loving, because God is so generous, because God's heart is so big, he can't contain all the love within himself. And so he gives us mercy. Mercy is an extension of God's love. And mercy became incarnate, became personified in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's mercy. So mercy is not an idea or a concept. Mercy is a person. So when our Lord appeared to St. Faustina and he gave her the divine mercy image, what was it an image of? Jesus Christ himself. See, so, so mercy is something that's so personal to God that he gave us his son who shows us how to enter deeply and intimately into the life of God. And in order to do that effectively, he gave us mercy. So therefore, Olivia, we must show mercy to others. We must be living examples and witnesses of God's loving mercy to the world. Just as God gave us Christ and gave us mercy, we have to share that mercy with others. That's why the, the uh, parable of the uh, Good Samaritan is so, uh, Jesus gave us that parable, so powerful, mm. right? Because it's extending mercy even to people that we don't like, even the people that we're supposed to hate. Mm -hmm. we, we are to be signs and witnesses of God's loving mercy to them as well. Preach it, brother. Fantastic. Olivia, thanks so much uh, for your question. We'll get back to the phones in just a second here. A quick one from Paula. I thought that if we received communion and had confession by Divine Mercy Sunday, our sins and the eternal punishment would be removed from us. Is this true? 
Okay. So yeah. So what you're talking about there are is called an indulgence. Okay? okay. All right. So in order for temporal punishment to be remitted, there's two ways that temporal sin could be remitted. One is an indulgence, which happens before we die, which the church, again, through the treasury of merit, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, mm -hmm. he gave us the ability for the church, his church, to remit the eternal punishment of sin and the temporal punishment of sin uh, through indulgences, which remits either part of the temporal punishment or all of the temporal punishment for sin. The other way that sin is remitted is after death in purgatory. So for Divine Mercy Sunday, again, depends on what the, the, the Pope declares, mm -hmm. there is a way to gain either a partial indulgence or a plenary indulgence. Again, a plenary indulgence removes all the temporal punishment for sin, uh, but we have to follow the church. So basically it's you have to receive, go to confession, mm -hmm. receive communion worthily, and pray for the intentions of the Pope, and whatever else the Pope may add, um, you know, uh, for that a particular feast, uh, like for Divine Mercy Sunday, the Pope says you also have to do this, and 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 uh, explains and describes what that is. We can receive again either a partial or plenary plenary indulgence, depending on what the Pope uh, teaches at that point. There you go. Appreciate that. It is Open Line Monday with guest host Deacon Harold Burke-Severs here on EWTN. Let's go now to Shelley, a first-time caller from Xenia, Ohio, listening on the great Sacred Heart Radio. Hey, Shelley, what's on your mind today? Hi there. Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling. I know a person who is a baptized Catholic, but they were never, they didn't receive any other sacraments or um, a proper catechism. Mm-hmm. And this person is now at a point in their life where they're going through some troubles, and they're trying to get closer to God, and they realize the great sin that they're in. Um, they haven't started RCIA or anything like that, um, and they want to receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Um, are they able to do that? Okay. Okay, that's a, that's a great question. So in order to receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation, you have to be Catholic, okay? So what I would have this person do is go and speak with a priest. Now, because they have the, the grace of baptism, and baptism, remember, is one of three sacraments, Shelley, that leave what's called an indelible mark on the soul. So it's baptism, confirmation, and uh, holy holy orders. Okay. So because your friend has the, 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 the grace that's given to her in baptism, uh, but she might be separated from the church right now, but yet that desire seems to be there to want to come back Go and talk to a priest, because then the priest can say, okay, you know, we can uh, resolve the situation, give you sacrament for reconciliation, bring you back into the church, and then uh, we can talk about confirmation and, and uh, uh, receiving the Holy Eucharist, which will give her even more grace to cooperate more deeply with God's will in her life, and, and be her heart will be more open to receiving all the blessings that God truly wants to give her. Because she she needs to understand she's not alone. Whatever she's going through, she is not alone. God is with her. God loves her. And so and God wants to give her the grace to be able to deal with whatever's going on in her life. So have your friend go talk to a priest, explain the situation, and I'm sure the priest will be able to give her, uh, at least instruct her on a sacrament reconciliation, and then begin the process of deepening her intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church through the sacraments. Is that helpful for you, Shelley? 
It is. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, Deacon Harold, a little praise report from you for you from Yaroslav, who's watching you today on YouTube in Ukraine. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yaroslav. Praise for the Ukraine. I Love know, Ukraine. I know. Yaroslav says, I like this deacon. He is on the right place, as it is said here in Ukraine. Oh, thank you so much. This is, this is why we're we called the Global it. Catholic you. Network, you know. Amen. All Amen. the way, all the way. Here's a question now, uh, very interesting. This is from Alex, who says, My great-grandmother was buried with a host. Uh, was this the wrong thing for my family to do? Wow. I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah I've, I've never heard that either. Um, you're not, the, see, the, the host, remember, yeah. uh, Alex, is the body, blood, soul, divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So really only two things can happen with the host. Either you consume it mm-hmm. and you, therefore you unite yourself with God, your body and God's body becomes one. And that, that beautiful act of divine intimacy or the blessed sacrament is reserved in a tabernacle or put into a monstrance for Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. It's not to be buried with people in the ground. That's really not an appropriate way um, to utilize the, the, the Eucharist. I mean, see, I, I think I can understand the sentimentality behind it, you know, especially if you're, um, is it, you said his grandmother, right? Uh, yes, uh, uh, great great grandmother. Great grandmother, she loved the Eucharist. If she loved going to Mass, I can see, okay, well, if we have a host with her, you know, that somehow might help, but really it doesn't help at that point. Um, because w- once you're in the ground, you're bare, you entered into the tomb with Christ yeah. with the hope of rising to him with to, to new life in heaven, and the, having a host in there is not going to help at that point. But and she, so I, I definitely would not would not do that. Though. Right, but so. at this point, she there's really nothing you can do. Yeah, there's nothing you could do. You're not going to dig her up to take the host back no, or anything. No, no. I mean, you know, it's it's water it's water under the bridge. Yep, but yep. I, I would definitely not not do that again. Very good. It's Open Line Monday with guest host Deacon Harold Burke Severs here on EWTN. Question here uh, from Wendy. What is the practical explanation of the church on the gift of tongues? And why isn't this gift used more often? Oh, okay. So the gift of tongues. Of course, we have a biblical precedent for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very clear in the New Testament that there is a thing called the gift of tongues. Right, we see this in Acts of the Apostles. St. Paul talks about it several times in his letters. And um, there's a couple different understandings for this. Okay, um, s- Sometimes in the charismatic movement, you will hear people speaking what sounds like, um, you know, they say words of praise. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know, it's, it's some inarticulate language that, that really no one else can really understand unless... You know, they say you've been given the gift of interpretation right. of tongues, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but what, but I look at it scripturally, when I look at it biblically, uh, I think what's happening with the gifts of tongues is the ability to speak other languages so that the gospel could be spread. You know, for example, when, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles at Pentecost and they went out, uh-huh. it says, wait a minute, we're, we're Medes and we're Persians and we're, you know, from this place and that place and we can hear them in our own language. So I think the gift of tongues was given to be able to to spread the gospel in the language of a particular uh, uh, nationality, of a particular people. Um, as far as the, the I, I'll give you an example, Wendy. I was at a, a parish once 
And the, the past, we were talking about uh, uh, the charismatic prayer group that he once had in his parish. And he was telling me that um, an African priest came because in Africa and the, the bishop in this particular diocese, they went to school together in Rome. Uh-huh. So when the, the, the African guy became a bishop, he sent one of his priests over to kind of, you know, learn what they were doing in the diocese. And mm-hmm. so they went to this prayer meeting, this charismatic prayer meeting, and uh, the priest had to take a phone call. So the, the African priest went in while the pastor was outside. The pastor said, as he was on the phone, the African priest came running out. He said, they're cursing Jesus and Mary. He, he said, wait, what? He said, so when the African priest walked in and he heard them praying in tongues, I uh-huh. use that in quotes, uh-huh. um, what he heard a dialect, an, an African dialect, where they were actually cursing Jesus and Mary. Wow. Now, again, I'm not saying... You know, uh, across the board, that's yeah. that what ha- that's what happens when people speak in tongues. Uh-huh. But this was the particular experience that this pastor had mm. with that. So I think we need to be very careful um, when, when we uh, um, talk about this idea of gift of tongues. It's not required for salvation. Uh-huh. It's not something that's necessary in the life of the church. Honestly, um, you know, we, we, you you have to receive the Spirit. We receive the Spirit of baptism, confirmation, nurtured and strengthened by the Eucharist. And remember, those two sacraments, baptism and confirmation, leave a permanent indelible mark on the soul. It leaves a spiritual character. Yeah. And we, the more we cooperate with that grace, the more God can fill us with his life. So I think we need to be careful when it comes to the whole idea of speaking in tongues. Wendy, thanks so much for your question. Uh, Michelle in Charleston, South Carolina, we have about a minute left. What's on your mind today, Michelle? Can you hear me? Yeah, go go right ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, question about transit substantiation versus consubstantiation and why the mm-hmm. Catholic Church believes in one and the other churches believe in the other. Okay. Okay. So Luther taught in consubstantiation. That means that the 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 the, the bread and the wine, the substance of bread and wine is remains with the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. That's consubstantiation or consubstantialis in Latin. That means with the substance. So the bread, the wine, body, blood, and so they all remain. Mm-hmm. Transubstantiation um, uh, means that once the consecration happens, what appears to be bread and wine, what's called the accidents, remain, but the substance of what bread and wine is is no longer bread and wine. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. There you go. Michelle, thanks so much for your call. Glad we could uh, squeeze it in at the end of the program here. Hey, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, a delight to do an hour with you today. Hopefully uh, we'll see you again very soon. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. Thanks so much. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow it'll be Open Line Tuesday with our friend Father Wade Menezes. So be sure to tune in then. My thanks to Michael, Matt, and Jeff. Always doing a super job behind the glass. Until then, I'm Tom Price. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon. God bless.